Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Autism Stories. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience, and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their advice. If you'd like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we strongly suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate if you could give us a positive rating and review, as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. I've said many times that autistic people are everywhere and uh, we're doing everything. That's why it should be no surprise that I've interviewed so many people on autism stories that are involved in so many different career paths. However, I haven't interviewed an autistic physical therapist until today. That's why I'm pleased to talk with and learn from Iris Warchell. Iris joins this episode of Autism Stories to discuss artistic movement differences, being a physical therapist, and anti-ableist and neurodiversity-affirming healthcare. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Iris, thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, thank you, Doug, so much for having me to have this conversation. I'm really glad to be here. And I wanted to start out by just learning where does your story in the autistic community begin? begins in the same way I've heard from many other people who are around my age. I had a child who eventually received an autism diagnosis, and I recognized that I was autistic as well, and that explained a lot about my life experiences and allowed me to know myself better. So I work in healthcare, I'm a physical therapist, and I've always had interest in neuroscience and psychology, so of course I was extra drawn to learn as much about autism as I could, kind of from those perspectives. And my experience was that all the information and resources I could easily find from the medical community about support for autistic kids seemed to be missing something. And I realized that I needed to dig deeper in order to figure out for myself what my kid needed. And I found so much helpful information from the amazing community of autistic adults who are working really hard to educate people. And so after I'd been engaging with and learning from the autistic community for a while, it became really clear to me that as a healthcare provider with my background, it was in a place where I could do a lot to help advocate for the autistic community. So I was already helping people with conditions that are more common in autistic folks. So chronic pain, connective tissue disorders like the Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, pelvic health concerns, various neurologic conditions, and it became glaringly obvious to me that in my education and my training as a zero mention of how to provide good care to autistic adults. The continuing education work I'd done on how to help people with these conditions that are more likely to affect autistic folks. And so my goal now is to educate physical therapists and other healthcare providers about how to support autistic adults as well as other neurodivergent people. Because at least in the field of physical therapy, I haven't really been able to find anyone else who is talking about this, and it's so important, so incredibly important. Now, you, you mentioned you're a physical therapist who 
from my understanding, provides resources for providing anti-ableist and neurodiversity-affirming healthcare, which I'm going to assume, and maybe I'm assuming correctly or incorrectly, please let me know, that you've seen ableist and, and healthcare that was not so affirming. What are some common mistakes that you think physical therapists make in attempting to provide support to autistic patients? Well, ableism in healthcare is a huge problem, and it comes down to the fact that Western medicine, our training is based on the medical model of disability instead of the social model of disability. And so for folks who aren't familiar with those two models, the medical model asks, how do I make this person quote unquote normal again? The social model asks, how can I provide the necessary support and accommodations to this person, including modifications to their physical and social environments so that we can remove the barriers to access that this person has. Healthcare as we know it today in the United States really focuses on interventions that will make someone, their body, and their brain as close to the quote-unquote reference norm as possible. And the problem with this as it relates to a lot of disabilities, especially autism and other forms of neurodivergence, is that the quote-unquote reference norm is never going to be that individual person's norm, and that person is never going to thrive when they're trying to attain that reference norm. Trying to strive for a neurotypical way of processing information, of moving, of interacting with the world is never going to work well for an autistic person, and in fact is often going to result in more problems. I can think of so many examples of how this comes up in physical therapy, but I'm going to take one and we're going to break it down. So here's the example. You have an autistic person who's developed some shoulder pain after starting a job that requires a lot of sitting at the computer. So this person is experiencing disability because of their shoulder pain and that they can't work comfortably now. And they're already disabled according to the social model of disability because they're autistic and they therefore have access barriers in many domains because they inherently function differently from how their society assumes that people should function. Maybe this autistic person knows they are autistic and discloses this to their physical therapist, or maybe this is one of the millions of undiagnosed autistic adults who are out there. So let's consider what this autistic person's physical therapy experience might be like if the physical therapist is thinking through the lens of the medical model of disability when helping their patient. This is our first scenario. There are going to be problems that come up in this scenario, and some have to do with trying to make the person fit quote-unquote, reference norms, and the other problems are going to come up because the physical therapist lacks knowledge of the fact that autistic adults exist and can have executive functioning, sensory, or motor accommodation needs in order to access care. Okay, so this person with shoulder pain walks into physical therapy, and the physical therapist looks at the person's posture and says, oh, well, you sit with your legs crossed and your back is too rounded. And because of this, you hold your arms in a way that's going to create strain to your shoulder. This is why you have shoulder pain. Let me show you how to sit properly. The physical therapist is thinking about the reference norms for posture and trying to fit their patient to the norms. The physical therapist then checks strength and flexibility of a bunch of muscles and compares this patient's measurements to, again, a reference norm and says, hmm, yep, you have some weakness in these muscles and some tightness in these ones, and this is yet another reason why your shoulder hurts. 
physical therapist has educated their patient that these muscle issues and posture issues are the reasons for the shoulder problem, and the autistic person who loves learning about the reasons behind things is so glad to have learned what the problem is, right? But that person has been sitting with their legs crossed and they're backgrounded because they have differences in proprioception, which is how you feel where your body is in space. And this person has muscle coordination differences, which are not all autistic people have, but which are really common in autistic folks. And so when they're concentrating on their work, if they're sitting on a normal chair, they will always, always, always go back to the, that posture with their legs crossed and their backgrounded because that's what's natural for them. That's what their brain tells them to do in that environmental situation. So then the physical therapist teaches this person a home exercise program to stretch and strengthen the muscles that are needed for a more upright posture. And the person is really motivated to work on their new home exercise program. The person will go home and one of two things happens. One possibility is that they might have difficulty finding a good way to remember to do the exercises because adding in these new exercises disrupts their existing routine. And changing routines can be really dysregulating and challenging for autistic folks. I know it is for me. And after a few physical therapy visits, the person just can't ever find a way to fit in the exercises at home in a way that works for them. And then the physical therapist discharges them because they're non-compliant with their home exercise routine. And yes, even healthcare providers who work with adults are taught that patient compliance is the goal. This isn't just something that comes up with providers who work with children. So now let's rewind just a moment and consider the second possibility, which is that the autistic person was able to do their home exercise routine every single day. Remember, this person has differences in how they feel where their body is in space and differences in how they coordinate their muscles, right? So they're doing these exercises, but when they move their body, it's not going to look like what the physical therapist wants. And the physical therapist tries and tries over the course of many appointments to teach this poor person how to correctly, but the autistic person never is able to do the exercises exactly how the physical therapist tells them to. So now this patient has been told that they have shoulder pain because their posture is wrong and their muscles are too weak or too tight that they need to do exercises to fix it, that they can't do the exercises correctly, and that they need to sit with a new posture, but they can never sit the way the physical therapist told them to for more than a minute or two. So therefore, their shoulder pain is never going to get better. And there's going to be anxiety associated with the idea of not being able to do the things to get better. And that's coming about because the physical therapy intervention was not accessible to that person. And there's going to be shame associated with that because it's just one more drop in the bucket of trauma that this person has experienced in their life about not being able to do things, quote unquote, normally or correctly. Because of the physical therapist training, coming at the problem through the lens of the medical model of disability where we're looking for impairments within the patient, the physical therapist fell into the trap of making ableist assumptions about what their patient should be able to do. And their patient has been on the receiving end of a very ableist interaction, and their shoulder pain is still not better. Now, I want to point out that this happens all the time in physical therapy, and often between patients and physical therapists who truly like each other and have developed a really good pull. But it's still a very ableist interaction, whether the parties involved realize it or not. And the physical therapist doesn't know any better, and the patient is used to being told that they quote-unquote do things wrong, so they might not question the experience. And that's internalized ableism, right? 
Okay, so now let's pause and rewind way back to the beginning of the situation. The patient's going to walk into the physical therapy clinic, and this time their physical therapist is coming at the problem through the lens of the social model of disability. And maybe the physical therapist has some basic knowledge about potential ways that people can be neurodivergent and need slight modifications to their care. The physical therapist, instead of first identifying which problems of postural dysfunction or muscle weakness are present within the patient's body, asks more questions about this environment and how the environment fits that person. The physical therapist would do an ergonomic assessment and discover that when this person is using standard equipment that's arranged in the standard ergonomic arrangement, it's actually not a good fit for this person's body and their natural postural tendencies, and they need different equipment in order to be able to work comfortably. The patient might mention, oh, well, I know I probably need to get up from the computer more often, but it's hard for me to remember to. And the physical therapist can, for example, suggest apps that will provide reminders for getting up and walking around every so often. The physical therapist might suggest alternating between sitting and standing to work if that's possible, or maybe some sort of alternative body position that works better for that person. And the physical therapist is also, again, going to teach some exercises that help to get a variety of motion happening around that person's body. Just help counteract the fact that our bodies tend not to be very comfortable with really prolonged positions, and we need a variety of motions during the day. So the physical therapist is teaching exercises that are going to mix in some other varieties of motion. And the physical therapist notices that the person has trouble coordinating the movements for the exercises that the therapist usually teaches. And so the physical therapist modifies the exercises to be less of a coordination challenge. And so then this person's home exercise program is actually accessible to them. And that might also include helping the patient to create a sensory environment in which they can concentrate well and feel relaxed in order to focus on their exercises. And, ooh, if the physical therapist is really thinking in a neurodiversity-affirming kind of way, they might help the person to explore which of their natural movement stems help to increase body awareness in a way that helps them feel good with exercise. And they, again, suggest some sort of app or reminder system to make it easier to fit the exercises into this person's schedule in the first place. So in this scenario, the physical therapist has helped the autistic patient with shoulder pain to address the environmental barriers that were resulting in disability, which were poor ergonomic fit, lack of a schedule with executive functioning supports in terms of reminders for movement rates and positional changes, and also that initial inaccessibility of their home exercise program because the exercises were too hard and the person, again, needed executive functioning supports now, that was a brilliant answer. Um, one thing that you had mentioned that I wanted to maybe go back on and just touch on really quickly is that I think in so many different aspects of the autistic experience dealing with compliance and this whole non-compliance thing happens, is that in terms of physical therapy, is that just a matter of looking at it in the medical model versus the social model of disability in, in your in your view? That's a great question. I do think that this thing of setting compliance as the goal is very linked to the medical model of disability. However, it is its own beast in itself, right? It has to do with 
in our culture, uh, we, you know, we value compliance, we value these social hierarchies. There's a very paternalistic kind of culture that permeates a lot of aspects of living in our part of the world, and that absolutely includes healthcare. Now, many autistic people have chronic pain, things like hypermobility spectrum conditions and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. I know that medical providers don't always realize that autistics have these conditions potentially. So what would be some signs or symptoms that maybe someone that might have these challenges could then bring up to their doctor so the doctor can determine if they do have these conditions? Yeah, absolutely. Folks who are suspecting that they might have one of the Ehlers-Danlos syndromes or some other connective tissue disorder, hypermobility spectrum condition, often have to do a lot of work educating their providers on what are these conditions, what are the right pathways for referral, what would be the indications for getting further workup. I do think it really comes down to what the healthcare providers need to learn. And something that folks can direct their providers to is that it's easy for any healthcare provider to look up and download the Baden Hypermobility Assessment Scale. This is easy to find online. It's simple to use. That's one basic part of the screening for Ehlers-Danlos syndromes and other hypermobility spectrum conditions. Providers should also know some of the common patterns in medical history that people with hypermobility spectrum conditions can have, which are going to include chronic pain or recurrent joint subluxations or dislocations, especially affecting more than one joint, dysautonomias, which a lot of folks are starting to more about in this post-COVID kind of world, but that can include issues that affect uh, circulation and someone's ability to tolerate positional changes without passing out. It can affect digestion, all of those things. Uh, pelvic organ prolapse um, is also very common in folks who have connective tissue disorders and I work with folks who are coming to physical therapy for pelvic health-related concerns, and it has happened several times that someone has been referred for physical therapy because they have been dealing with some sort of pelvic organ prolapse, maybe they had surgery for this, and the person is extremely hypermobile, and no one has ever screened them for these other conditions. Uh, folks with Ehlers-Danlos also can be more likely to have mast cell activation syndrome, which is often also undiagnosed, and that can look like having a lot of environmental allergies or food intolerances. If someone has skin that is particularly stretchy or fragile or bruises easily, if someone has hernias, those are things they can bring up with their healthcare provider. And I want to point out that not every single person with a hypermobility condition is going to have these things in their history. But it's really important for clinicians to be able to learn about these signs and refer folks for screening for connective tissue disorders when these things are present, both to help with better understanding how to manage the orthopedic issues related to hypermobility, but also 
also because there can be serious, potentially life-threatening issues like aortic aneurysms that are more likely to occur with some connective tissue disorders, and people absolutely need to know if they're dealing with those. And when people are hypermobile, they're much more likely to hurt themselves in terms of dislocations of their joints and things like that. So thinking about physical therapists, how can they help autistics in terms of how to move in ways that reduce the chance of these joint dislocations if they are hypermobile? That's a great question. I will say that each hypermobile person is going to be different in terms of the combination of strategies they need to reduce the chance of joint dislocation or subluxation. But often it's going to be a combination of learning movement strategies for daily activities, like how you're positioning your body when you're getting out of bed, getting out of the car, or reaching, carrying things. There are some general principles that you can learn for these movements that we're doing all day, every day, that are going to minimize the potential stresses on joints. It can often also be really helpful to work with a physical therapist to discover what types of braces or taping or compressive clothing that can provide some support and increase that proprioceptive awareness, that awareness of where your body is in space. And a physical therapist can help work with someone to develop a general exercise program that is going to be building the strength and endurance and proprioception around all of the joints in the body, especially those areas that have injuries and might need some little modifications to make sure that you're going to re-injure yourself when you're working out. A physical therapist should be aware that a hypermobile person might need to be doing exercises with a smaller range of motion or less force than most people do, at least to start out with, because their tissues can stretch to the point of injury much more easily than most people's do. And so that is something that some physical therapists wind up being surprised by if they're not used to working with folks who are hypermobile. Physical therapists also have to remember that if their patient is hypermobile, their patient is more likely than average to be autistic, and almost all autistic people have motor developmental differences of one kind or another that might affect their ability to perform the exercises you're asking them to do. And so the therapist might have to do some troubleshooting and be creative to accommodate those differences. Now, in in talking about those motor differences, I'm wondering about the connection of those for autistic people um, in regards to physical therapy. How much of a correlation do you see with those that have motor differences as it relates to functional problems? Yeah, that's a great question and a really interesting question to me. I think there are a few questions that or a few things that we should keep in mind when considering motor developmentals in autistic folks. So first is that every single autistic person is going to be different in terms of what movement differences they might have. Autistic movement differences come about because of differences in brain connectivity, and the differences can vary widely from person to person, depending on which parts of the brain that control movement have more or less connectivity with other brain regions. So autistic people can have tendencies for high muscle tone, that means kind of neurologically driven tightness of muscles, low muscle tone, that can mean a little harder to engage muscles, or 
intonation differences, posture differences, walking pattern differences. You know, I talked a lot of, about proprioception differences. Person is going to have their own unique mix of these differences, which may be very subtle or may be very apparent and very directly affecting function. You know, there are a lot of autistic folks who are non-speaking who also have a lot of muscle coordination difficulties that make it difficult for them to access communication devices, and I'll talk about that a little more later, but each person is going to be different. Second, we need to recognize that some autistic movement differences will only come out in certain contexts or situations. Third, the field of pain neuroscience in recent years had has made it really clear that just because someone has a certain difference in the way that they move or a certain finding on an MRI, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to develop pain or other functional problems. In fact, autistic people can actually develop muscle tension and pain because of trying to suppress their natural movement patterns as a part of masking or camouflaging autistic traits. And so to me, it all comes down to this. Is there a very clear, observable link for this individual person between certain movements or postures and the development of a problem? How can I work with this person to help them discover which movements or positions tend to feel good for their body? Which movements or positions tend to feel bad or cause problems? Sometimes autistic movement differences can cause pain or functional limitation, and sometimes they are truly just differences that may look quite different from the quote-unquote reference norm, but actually work just fine for that person and their body. So it takes a lot of teamwork between the patient and the provider in order to teach that out. Now, I'm wondering uh, a little bit in terms of physical therapists as advocates and allies for those that they serve. What would be some ways they could um, particularly best serve their autistic patients? Oh my goodness, there are so many ways. This is going to be a bit of a laundry list. I'm also going to point out that since I feel like I'm best positioned to advocate for the healthcare needs of autistic adults as opposed to children, since I don't often work with pediatric patients, I'm going to stay in my lane and answer this from the perspective of how can we be allies to autistic adults. First, I think we as physical therapists need to start talking about the fact that every single one of us that works with adults works with autistic adults on a regular basis, and that autism is actually not uncommon, and it's a lifelong neurodevelopmental difference. Physical therapists and other healthcare providers need to recognize that many autistic adults are currently undiagnosed or misdiagnosed, and these will have support needs all the same. Physical therapists need to learn from the autistic community about common executive functioning and sensory support needs and how to identify and accommodate those needs. They need to recognize and respect the majority of autistic adults prefer identity first language as opposed to person first language, but of course always you know, respect each individual patient's personal language preference. Healthcare providers should find neurodiversity affirming, ideally, diagnostician to refer people to if they need a formal diagnosis in order to access accommodations. Of course, physical therapists need to be screening for EDS and other connective tissue disorders like we're talking about. They should find neurodiversity-affirming mental health providers to refer to. 
learn about the healthcare need of queer and trans folks, mm-hmm. since autistic people are less likely than neurotypical people to identify as cisgender and or heterosexual. Something I would really love to get involved in and see more PTs doing as well is to collaborate with speech therapists to help fit non-speakers with AAC devices. Since there are so many non-speakers who have difficulty accessing appropriate AAC modalities due to motor challenges. And I think we could be a really good team there. And I think there's a real need for that. Finally, if there are any other physical therapists out there who are happening to listen to this, who themselves are autistic, then please join me in being open and proud about being autistic within your professional community, because we can do a lot to reduce stigma and misconceptions about autism when we're visible and they hear our needs known. And how can people learn about you beyond this interview, Iris? I have a website set up. It's irisforshaw.com with some more information about me and my contact info. And I'm active on Instagram right now with the handle Autistic Physical Therapist. I'm really eager to connect with folks who would like to collaborate or set up opportunities to learn about providing neurodiversity-affirming care to neurodivergent adults either individually or along with other members of their clinics or institutions. I see patients for physical therapy to help with chronic pain, hypermobility, pelvic health conditions, vestibular dysfunction, and Parkinson's disease at Maxilite Physical Therapy, which is in Oakland, California. And I'm able to do telehealth visits for people who are within the state of California. Those are um, some fortunate people that live in the state of California because I know a lot of adults that could use a physical therapist like yourself. So I really appreciate uh, your time today, Iris. Thanks so much for having this conversation about physical therapy because I've not heard many of these conversations out there. Well, Doug, thank you again so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation with you and to talk about these issues. I hope that I'm able to start these conversations within the physical therapy community and the healthcare community more generally because they're very important. Thanks so much to Iris for the conversation. To learn more about Iris, please check out the link in the podcast description for this episode. It was wonderful to listen to Iris talk about anti-ableist and neurodiversity affirming healthcare because we support so many of our clients in planning and advocating for their needs at healthcare appointments so they can get the results that they need from these critical appointments. If this is something that you're interested in, in coaching to address, then please visit autismpersonalcoach.com for more information. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Autism Stories, and if you did, if you could tell a friend, foe, or anyone you know about it so they could have the same enjoyable and educational experience as you when listening to Autism Stories, it would be very much appreciated. Until next time, I'm Doug Bletcher of Autism Personal Coach. Talk to you then.